Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where your smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host, Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyers Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. And we are live on Oz Property Investors. Where we should just call ourselves Oz Oz Late Investors. Like, bloody lucky if we get on before. But no, how are you going anyway, Sam? What's happening? We bring the big names and we have the big fun. Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm doing well. I'm excited to uh, see where this 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 podcast progresses. Oh, here we go. You just never know <laughs> which could take there's a right a little... turn, could take a stop sign. You just never know where we'll go. No, there's a little pun. I hope to provide a lot of value is is the line. As <laughs> <laughs> a property oh. valuer, we would only hope. We would only hope. Yes. Uh, I, I no, think we just should finish the podcast the, after that. <laughs> not going to get any. Not going to get any. Right? Like, that, like I was thinking about this today. What is the most important thing about property? Well, it's getting it for the right price. Like valuing property is the hardest thing to do. Um, and you've got to be able to stack it up. It's got to actually work as a deal. Um, and where people mess up the most is by overpaying for the deal. So I'm excited to learn learn how the pros do it. How do you actually do it? <laughs> oh, there's there's a, a few a few secret sources that I'll uh, hopefully throw out there for people to understand. But yeah, there, there is definitely a bit of a uh, it's, it's a tough uh, path to walk. You know, like you've got the competition pushing you up and up, and then once you get under contracts, then you've got the, the valuer coming in, looking at past sale results, and then they might not stack it up. You know, there's there's risks there and they could crush a really good deal because they don't they don't know that present heat in the market. So yeah, mm. it's an interesting, interesting time um, from a valuer to even buying property. There's different mindset shifts for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll unpack a, a whole heap of this. Um, how are you, Jeff? How are you, mate? Oh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just reading about uh, reading about somebody putting a post about some some pineapple or something about because rates rates are going up next month apparently we hear inflation is hot Joe so it's hotter hotter oh. than uh, hotter than a Wollongong uh, spring day which is not very hot so I yeah anyway no I'm going well going well it's um I just I had to get a jacket out and and it's almost it's getting into the back end of spring so I'm just thinking what the heck is going on. What is the world coming to when I have to wear a jumper or a jacket in spring? But no, anyway, that's let's let's put aside my gripes with the with the weather. How are you going anyway, Joe? What's what's happening, mate? Live my best life, I'm trying to make it happen. It, it, uh, out there in the market is so crazy. Trying to buy a property right now, I I do not know what in six months' time is going to be like. If this demand keeps up and the lack of supply that is on the market right now keeps up. I mean, we said this six to twelve months ago that it was going to be it was going to be crazy, but now it is absolutely mental. There is so limited stock online um, or available whatsoever. People are just holding off um, and not listing their properties, which um, is putting a lot of there's a lot of buyer demand out there from owner occupiers, from investors. Um, so it's interesting to see. It's interesting. It's an interesting market to be to be playing in. That's bloody for sure. You know, um, but anyway. you know, you know, you know, you know. What I think though, like, um, mm. things are never normally as bad as what they think, what you think they are, and they're never usually as good. So, 
in six months' time, it'll it'll probably be yeah, it might be tough, but probably won't be as tough as what we think it'll be. It might not be as yeah. That's what I like to think. I just <laughs> kind of try it's and always, keep it. It's always changing, Jeff. It's always changing. But there was a piece that I was looking at today that there's another three hundred fifteen thousand migrants expected to hit Australia in the twenty three twenty four population. Um, so, what do you reckon, Joe? It's going to add more fuel to the fire. I reckon that's that's going to make my life a lot harder. <laughs> when there's 100,000 more people, there is 26,000 dwellings in Australia that are not built, that needed to be built. Um, mm. Stock is limited. Australia keeps pumping people in um, and we don't have enough houses for it. So um, it makes... it makes. I don't, I, I don't know. There, there will there will be a shift, though. It, it, won't, it won't just continue because like a lot of things, life, like life pretty much just goes in cycles. So because what will happen is there won't, there won't be enough jobs for these people to... There won't be enough job creation. So unemployment will go up. So that's my sort of... Which, which in turn... Sorry, man. Well, it's because, yeah, if they, if they can't create the jobs, but yeah, anyway. So tonight... <laughs> what are we we are talking about art property valuation art versus science it's going to be an absolute uh, so people throw in your questions because everybody asks well how does a property valuer get to that number how do they sort of how to look at that uh, so we, we've got a treat for you with with sam powell from i'm going to call, call him hh from hello house he's a he's an in-house kind of uh, valuation guru i don't know if i can call you that but i just did so um <clears throat> So key insights on on what how how you how a valuer actually values property, and then how somebody who's sort of is is out there about to buy a property looks at it because I think that's important because to determine and distinguish the two things, and then how how to look at a value add from a valuer's perspective as well because I think that's important for because we we love a good renovation value add. So um, is there anything I missed, Joe? Anything we need to going to be covering off? That's, Mate, how does a valuer value a property? Because valuing a property is the most important thing. If you're not valuing a property correctly, you are buying something that's overpriced and is a dud and you're going to push back. Like if you spend $20,000 more, like how long does it take to get $20,000 into your pocket? If you're saving, you know, $2,000 a month, it's going to take a little while to get that money back. So making sure we buy property at the right price is, uh, yeah, the most important thing. But the second most important thing is content of the week. What are we consuming to make ourselves smarter um, and more intelligent? <laughs> Clearly, I've not been doing enough of that because they are all the same things. What have you been consuming, Sam? What's what's valuable from for you? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I just purchased, uh, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it, Akil Patel from yeah, Property yeah. Market Economics. Just got his new book. The Secret Wealth Advantage. So I'm super interested in um, delving into that in the market cycles at the moment. That's where my brain's um, focusing on. What about yourself? So, um, uh, mate, I was sitting down with my wife um, this this afternoon. I'm like, what content have I consumed? She's like, um, well, over the weekend, you were just sat outside reading a book for four hours. And I'm like, yeah, but I, someone else mentioned that that book before, so I can't bring it up as my content of the week. Um, but 100%, um, Akil Patel, the what what does he call it? The secret, the secret well, wealth advantage, which is a terrible title, but it talks about the 18 year property. I think it's a great title, Joe. Hang on, we're, we're gonna get, we're gonna email him to get him on the show. So that's oh yeah, well, we don't want to offend him then. Um, but fantastic book. If anyone wants to understand the 18 year property cycle, it was there was a book written by another um, Phil Anderson, his business partner. 
Yeah. Mm, the secret, uh, secret life of banking and real estate. That's the one. That's the book that I lent you, Joe. So remember, that's, that's, that's mine. That's why I'm I paid eight, I'm to, 90 bucks for it. I'll give you it back. Exactly. It's 90 bucks. It's very, it's very expensive. Very hard to get your hands on. And it's also kind of hard to read. Whereas um, this one has been written incredibly well and he's done an amazing job. So definitely read that book. Um, so that's what you're reading. Have. You're reading the, you're reading his business partner's book. Is that, is that the, your content? Or? That's not my content. My content is um, a podcast that I'm listening to um, about, it's called How to Take Over the World. H-T-T-O-T-W, they say. Um, but it's an amazing podcast. I thought a stupid title. Um, it has one of the best intro intro music I've ever heard of a podcast. And um, it's about people who took over the world in whatever field they're in. So um, there's, a, there's an episode about Thomas Edison. So it's the full, this guy just reads 10 biographies about someone and it's it's the full breakdown of, of the uh, of the individual. So Thomas Edison, he's got um, Tesla, he's got Putin, like all of these crazy people. Putin took over the world, did he? Jeez, what did he? Not yet. Not yet. That's... But no, just it's a, it's a biography about, well, Putin was nobody until the age of like 35. <laughs> and then from there, he's, no, like 45 even. Like he didn't become anything until a set period and then he started really getting a bit of momentum anyway what are you reading jeff What's i'll tell you who took over the world genghis khan sorry no okay so yeah, mine is uh i've, I've gone off the bloody... <laughs> okay wasn't putin kgb oh geez yeah he was, right. he was it, it was secret for a reason maybe i, I don't know Someone out there. Maybe. <laughs> so my um I, i've gone a bit different this week I, i'm not doing a boring property content I am. Uh, there's a podcast that I listen to uh, by a guy called Lewis Howes, and it's called The School of Greatness. So yeah. it's um, he interviews. So the one that I uh, I'm going to drop in the comments is by it's got Brene Brown in it, and I, I really it's not not even relevant to property, but I just think it's important for people to. It's about resilience and kind of overcoming adversity and that sort of stuff. Um, but Lewis interviews people he even got one with kobe bryant before kobe sort of had that plane crash and just listen to um like he's a fantastic interviewer so just the content that he and the way that he asks questions like i i'm quite envious of the way lewis is able to construct a a sort of set something up and really get people to unpack so yeah it's a great podcast i would absolutely jump on it and yeah he gets gets yeah, a, a love listening to that that was um that's a great yeah that is a good one i'm, I'm sold on that one Great, great yeah, find. So here we go. We're going to get into the art versus the science of property valuation. And so throw your questions in. If you wanted to understand anything about property valuation or you just wanted to sort of um, – oh, don't throw tomatoes at Sam, please. He's a, he's a great bloke. So he's, a, he's one of the good one of the good valuers. So we'll, uh, well values are generally conservative in nature. So maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. Depends on what side of the fence you're working. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, now let's jump in. Um, there's a, I mean, the, the question that you were alluding to at the start was, you know, how do you evaluate a property, right? Everyone seems to to want to know. Um, but I guess from your business and the way you guys work, like, what do you think? How do you go about it? Oh, geez. The question I well, I think I hate when people do that. I mean, I didn't, pre I didn't prepare for this. <laughs> yeah, this isn't my podcast to prepare for. Uh, I am. Uh... <laughs> but before we do that, before we jump into the episode, we need to introduce who this man is. And before we do that, um, we need to actually talk to, we need to run a little, little bit of a sponsored post by 
um, a company that you may be familiar with, Sam. Um, so let's see how that see how that goes. There's nothing worse than going into a situation unprepared, especially when that situation is purchasing one of the most expensive assets of your life against a trained property expert in the form of a real estate agent. It's a scary thought, but it is a skill that can be taught. Do you want to learn how to become fully prepared when buying a property so you can get out there, buy your dream home or investment property without the fear of actually messing it up? Scott Agate, the founder and expert property negotiator at Hello House, has been helping people buy their properties by stepping in and negotiating with the agents and saving his clients tens of thousands and in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars. Scott has now decided to share all that he's learned over the past 28 years in real estate so you can go out there and do the exact same thing on how to find a property, analyze that property, negotiate on that property and transact on it to get the best results. He's created the Get Buyer Ready course which is a step-by-step guide on how you too can become an expert property negotiator. It's the easy way of how you can avoid all of these agent games and get the best purchase price on that dream home or your investment property. The course is in short bites for busy people with no fluff at all. Just all the information you need to get buyer ready and secure that next property with confidence at the best price. Scott has been kind enough to give our community a massive discount with the link below. Sign up today before you even think about putting an offer on that next property and it will be one of the best decisions you ever make. Bloody oath at well. Okay, who have we got in front of us, Jeff? Who is this gentleman? So, I, uh, I, know, I I didn't do the pre. Damn, you, you really tried to set me up with that song, Sam. I, I'd heard that title before, but I, I was going to do the singing. I was going, yeah. But anyway, he, he's a bit of a bit of a comedian, young Sam. But uh, I'm going to. Re- I tried to find. My computer loads, but ah, oh, damn, this is awkward. It's coming up. So Samuel Powell, what, that, that's a it's, it's a very pow, powerful name. But no, no. So you are a, a qualified property investment analyst, and you've got. I think you've been you've been a qualified value for what over. I was going to say over ten years, but is that is that correct? How long have you yeah. been about? Oh no, you've been close to it. Very close. Yeah, well, I, I'm trying to think back. Yeah, close to 10 years um, in the valuation industry. So I, yeah, I mean, started, you got to do the, the property economics degree and then you um, go down that path of being a valuer and then you make senior valuer after five years of doing that. And um, yeah, then just, just keep learning and, and growing and I love the property industry. And it's it's definitely, uh, as you say, it's, a, it's an art and a science and now you're always constantly learning on that front. There's always a, a challenge every single day. Every property is so different, you know. Yeah, I, I see. You had uh, we don't want to necessarily mention specific companies, but there was a company that produces a report every month, the Property Clock. Um, mm. what, what did you, was that an interesting sort of? Did you have much input into the Property Clock, or you, you know, obviously wouldn't have? I mean, obviously, but did you sort yeah, of? Yeah. Good. Good question. Um, so each week we like we gather around and we uh, assess our um, our target market that we're working in. So uh, for the well, for different firms um, like, like the bigger ones that I work for, um, you have patches, right? So you come real you become real niche and specialize in certain areas. So you report on that the market conditions and what you're seeing, whether it's growth, neutral, or, or reduction, and then the the demand in that region. 
And then you present that to the, the office of all the other valuers and the directors each week. So we have that meeting and then we all go around the room. So it helps us understand that local government area in a real quick snapshot. And then once a month, I'd write a, a piece around my market. And then what the directors do is use all that information and then they basically put it all in their brain, summarize it, and then they help contribute to that property clock. So interesting yeah. there you go I, I didn't expect that's such cool. a uh, yeah. yeah that's a very methodical methodical process from analytical um, maybe <laughs> analytical, some would say and so that's all baked so a lot of the data for the property clock and for people that don't know what we're talking about we're Heron talking Todd about White. the Heron Todd White um newsletter that they send out and it's monthly so that's all like from property values that's how they come up with the clock is asking everyone in their little region, where's the market moving, what's happening, where's it going? And that's how they come up with the clock. Yeah, along with obviously other industry professionals that they liaise with to you know come to those confident figures. But a lot of it is just you know, boots on the ground and, and knowing that, um, that market and then it just filters through. Interesting, very interesting. We could, we could have a whole conversation about that. But... <laughs> The, um, the the first question we love to ask people because I, I'm I'm pretty sure we we briefed you about this bit of it about uh, your your first property investment. How did that all go? How did you get involved in buying property? Oh well, uh, always been interested. Uh, was just that classic person that uh, you know spent his twenties trying to travel the world and have life experiences. I'm a big proponent of living that life. Uh, but yeah, my first investment it, it came in it way where it was an owner occupier with the intention to flip into an investment um so built like did my data research understood my local market bought a property with uh, you know it was medium density with up to seven stories height limit it was a duplex uh, pair that my mate and i went in together um, owner occupiers and then i flipped it into a investment after well the, the plan was 12 months but then you get comfortable living near the beach and then um, ended up yeah, staying there for 18 months. And then I moved into a, a, a family home because I decided to start having children. Well, my wife and I started having children. <laughs> it's two to oh, tango wow. in that front. Um, yeah, well, I, didn't, I didn't have the child, right? I just, you know, did my one part and then she did everything else. Or Danny DeVito, <laughs> twins. Um, no, but um, that's that's really that's super interesting. I, I don't know if we've ever have we ever heard somebody say Joe that they've they've gotten into their first investment uh, like as a bit of a sounds like a bit of a joint venture to some extent. Yeah, I don't think I've heard of anyone go and joint venture for their first deal. So how did what does that look like? Oh, geez, um, yeah, yeah. So it was there were there's basically as a duplex pair, three bedroom was the one I purchased, and the two bedroom it was strata titled. So we were able to. We, we negotiated on, on a site because it was technically either a development site or two um, strata total units. Mm. Uh, so it was during 2019 when everyone thought that the world was ending because media was pumping people with fear about the election. And, um, you know, it was that opportune time. So I just pounced on it and uh, we've done really well out of it and seeing that grow. But as, as a value, I mean, I spent my career driving around listening to podcasts about property. It's funny how I'm here now, but um, yeah, it helped yeah, me. You're one of them. You're one of them. <laughs> them now. Yeah, what a weird world we live in. But uh, it was motivating. But you, you see, it's it's like you see the wealth in property. You see people make smart decisions and 
it's a lot easier to get your money to work for you so you don't have to work for the money right so that was that mindset that i went into it was always that investing mindset i my past before property was in financial planning so i used to work for one of the big four as a financial planner so wow. it was always i didn't i didn't i didn't see that on your linkedin jeez <laughs> yeah, keep that one off there do you uh, well, I finished my degree, then I went. I worked in development for a year doing feasibilities, and then I uh, went traveling, and then uh, came back, and it was still that GFC type period where there was no work in property. So I got into finance and worked yeah. my way up, and then realized that it's not my passion, so went back into property. You seem you seem too young to be uh, be sort of kicking around the GFC. Geez, there you go. Maybe yeah. I thought 30, 30, 30, 35 in a in a month or two, December. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm 34 next month. So there you go. So oh. okay, we're going to get into property valuation. So tell tell us all about the the very high level. How does it when a valuer imagine somebody's never heard of what property valuation, uh, never bought a property, had a property valued. What does that sort of process look like? How does a valuer sort of go out to the site and and start their produce or produce their report? What does what does it look like? Yeah, so the mortgage broker puts the instruction in and then that sends off a request to the valuation firms. So there's your major valuation firms and a lot of their work comes from mortgage security. So the, your banks doing refis and purchases. Uh, the, the firm gets the, uh, I guess, the the job. They, they allocate it to a valuer and then they um, either organise it for me or I'll organise it for myself. So then I'll drive out meet the owner or if it's the property manager or whoever and then yeah step by step here so let me know if it gets a bit boring but it's uh you know i find look at the property obviously when i'm driving through the suburb i'm just getting that feel going through the street getting that feel uh beforehand i personally generally do a little bit of you know research on that area the, the local sales if i want to drive past and inspect them but then once i get to that property it's Checking out what the what the street appeal is or curb appeal, seeing how that uh, presents, and then going in, looking at you know the you, we actually measure up the entire house so understand the living area because that's a big part of valuation. There's the three valuation methods, right? There's the direct comparison, the summation. So direct comparison, apples with apples, put it that way. Summation is understanding what the land value is worth, and then understanding what the improvements are worth and adding them together. By, and you also with established houses, you're taking into account depreciation on that, uh, those improvements as well. And then you've got the capitalization approach, which is also referred to as the income approach, where you, know, you can sort of say, well, what does this property rent for? And what's the yield in that area um, for that sort of property type? And then you divide that annual income by that yield. And between those three methods, you're you're basically just building your levels of I guess analysis to give you that confidence behind that uh, final sale or final valuation price. A lot to unpack there. A lot to unpack. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if I want to dive into the fun details just yet, but what are the types of valuations that banks do? And like, because that's, that's one thing that I want to understand a little bit as well because I hear all the time there's like a desktop valuation there's a physical like what are the types how do they work what when does one get done when does one not get done like how do we how do we think about that yeah that's a good question um well 
towards the end of my career, the desktops were becoming more, more and more prevalent. Um, and that's, you know, the desktops can go through the automatic valuation models that the, the I guess the data is pointing out now. Um, and then there's also like, I used to actually do the desktops. So I used to get paid like 60 bucks just to do a quick little cl few clicks around and do a desktop and put a figure on it and send it out. Um, from a desktop valuation, I used to be very conservative. Uh, I'm not sure if they still, the value is actually all do them now or it's all done digitally based on the AVMs, but um, automatic valuation models. But yeah, there's a desktop and then you go into your curbside. So curbside is where you actually drive past the property and take a photo. Uh, you don't actually go inside and inspect it. You know, if you're doing the desktop or the curbside, then you're not getting a true reflection of the value because well, for, for mm -hmm. me personally, I would put a discount on it because I don't know what the internal conditions like. So I'm not going to risk myself <laughs> if I think it's worth yeah. a, million, a million bucks uh, based on, you know, some old photos and me driving past it or a desktop, then I'll, I'll cut that back just to <laughs> reduce that risk on, on that front, if that makes sense. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense because you see it all the time when like these ABMs, these ABMs are on, like I was literally just before here looking at a property that's a four bed, two bath, but it has real estate listed as a three bed, one bath. Um, and it's not until you actually go through the property and like, whoa, here's another bathroom. Oh, wow. Here's another bedroom. But real estate has it as three in one. Mm. Um, so it's going to be a lot less uh, undervalued. Yeah. And then you got the, like the full valuation, uh, which is the full bank valuation which is just still the mortgage security stuff which is just a they call that a short form valuation report um and then you've got an actual full long form report which is generally if it's a private job like someone pays a value to go out privately to assess their property they, they give a full report uh and they all come at different cost levels obviously the full reports more and more extensive but they the value is still using the same methodology whether it's a short form or a long form uh but yeah that's they, they're your main types of reports and does the valuation fluctuate a little bit like uh with the, if you're going in and inspecting it no as i said with the desktop and the curbside like well yeah. for me anyway the way i conducted myself was yeah i wouldn't put full freight price on it if i hadn't gone and, and physically inspected it from the risk perspective and we'll, um, we'll, we'll actually, we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk to those, uh, sort of things as a bit of a, bit of a breadcrumb we'll leave because there's, there's potential some, I wouldn't say arbitrage, but that's not the right word, but there's some opportunity potentially to, to look at, uh, look at ways to, um, maybe look at a higher, a higher valuation based on if you can convert properties. We'll talk to that, but I want to know, let's just say, let's just imagine I've got a property up in, I've got a property in Batemans Bay. I don't have one in Batemans Bay, by the way. But let's just say I've got one there, and and I, and I want to understand how much is my property worth today. How would you, how would you answer that question, Sam? Like, what what sort of things do I need to be? Uh, how how are you going to look at that as value? I suppose I oh well, yeah. There's um there's the value of brain or the value of Sam, and then there's the you know, Hello House property analyst Sam, and there's there's definitely it was a big mindset shift which um. Yeah, going into it, you know, if you want to be buying properties, I feel like you become more accurate in your analysis because, uh, you know, there's there's repercussions um, on that front. Like you don't want the client overpaying, but you also want to, you know, 
have a competitive you know, figure, so you're competing. Uh, my first few years in the um, like the analyst industry was we were missing out on more a lot of properties because it was just you know value was go off a three month a three or six month um, past sale history, and if you're in buying into a, um, a a good market where the you know prices are, are increasing um, with that good growth prospect, then we found that I was just missing out so many times and um, that's where the art of you know, understanding that that market cycle and seeing what the data is actually doing. So like for now, the, the way that I go about it is, I mean, Bateman's Bay, you say how as a valuer, I would start out, go in there, inspect the property, I'd pull up the RP data map or on a realestate.com.au um uh, map find that exact property in that location and then see what's been selling around it that is you know, apples with apples when i was mentioning is like what are the four bed two baths um that are, that look similar on similar land in a similar proximity to the coastline being batons bay um, and, and what have they been selling for what's their living area and what are their improvements and just basically just doing that that math every single time yeah Okay. Then you, then you go into the like, and then the analyst side of me goes into now. I love the data side where I'm seeing I can go and see what the three months or the twelve month growth rates have been. So, if there's a sale in the street that's twelve months old, yeah, but it's a really good direct comparison. I now take that sale price and I add on the growth prospect over the last twelve months to sort of have a bit more of an understanding to say, well, if this suburb's grown by 6%, then let's add 6% on that sale price. It's still a comparable sale, but you, you don't want to use those data sales like as a primary, but you're just constantly adding layers of, I, I call it confluence to build your confidence around, well, what does this property have the potential to go to? Because Joe, as you know, like if you're in that multi-office scenario and it's a great asset with really good long-term growth prospects, you want to be competitive and they are hard assets to find so when you do find them you, you you're going up against people that most likely have been looking for that for six months as well yeah so i guess as a valuer because this is one of the hardest things is when you look at a deal um you, you see it at 500 let's just say it's listed for five hundred thousand, um and then you see it go for five you know it's worth 550 you're, you're in the market you're in the market every single day you see it's going to go for 550,000 or 560,000 like how do you yeah how do you just how do you i don't know not not how do you know because that seems a bit silly but it's it's very frustrating when you look at it 500,000 like how do you get your head around that yeah, yeah well like are you saying like say so there's no direct comparable sales to justify it that 550 but you have a you... no there's okay. always well well the challenge is right can you actually talk to the actually can you talk to the rp data and real estate listings of time frames of how long it takes to get a comparable sale to the market because um one of the things that i really like to do like my little secret tip for anyone out there um, that wants to understand what is the market doing right now is to go onto realestate.com and not even look at the sold section, right? Don't don't worry about that right now. We don't care about the sold section right now. What we care about is the under offer. Now, some people are going to really like this and some people are really going to hate this because it involves picking up the phone. 
but it is going to a direct comparable to the property that you're looking at and it says under offer so three bed one bath under offer under under offer under offer and then it's just calling up and being friendly to the agent that listed that property hey mr agent i'm looking at a property i see that you had this one listed can you just tell me how much i went for just tell me and then they will generally say look it's still under offer tell me yeah just please tell me please tell me and then, like, look, Mr. Agent, I see that you had it listed for Mr. 500. Agent. Obviously, it's gone above 550. And then the answer is like, oh, yeah, it actually did. Yeah, it went well above 550. Okay. Well, yeah, what, what, 560? Are we talking crazy? No, 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 not that crazy. Great. I'm starting to get a bit of a bandwidth um, within there. So that's my little, like, secret hack of saying what is on the market right now because that is serious because if you look at back what sold three months ago it'll be like 510 515 and i see so many people throwing a 515 510 and constantly losing out and getting frustrated with the market the market's moving too much no it's just you don't have the right data you're looking at this real estate so how does that how does that kind of work like what's the the process of getting a sale to rp data and maybe that's maybe you can't answer that question but that, there's a lot of try. That's <laughs> Well, it's the agents that update on the back end, right? Like they, it's whether they choose to put up there. Sometimes it takes, you know, like two months to get it up there. Um, like from a valuation perspective, let's go back on that one. There's like, you, we can't use under offer sales because they haven't gone, they haven't settled, right? So yeah, there's yeah. that potential of it, it uh, you know, coming undone, but what you're doing is is bang on like that's the most efficient use of understanding that market value in that present time i wouldn't just call one though i'd call no. you know a number all of them all yeah of them. yeah all, so all you're getting that real good feel and then um and, and that's the issue with the whole value people's perception of value is oh you're so conservative and it's like well they can serve because they're they're stuck to a certain level of like restriction whereas you know, banks do set those rules, those parameters. And, you know, from a bank's perspective, like I look at the valuers as risk assessors for the bank, right? They're lending the money. They'd rather be on the more conservative side because if the buyer defaults, the, the bank essentially is it's the business that they're worried about. So they have they're to the, stick to that. They're, they're the ones that have an 80 or 85 or 90% share in the property. So they want to make sure that they're not uh, going to... Because ultimately, that if if there's that sort of if there is a default and they have to sort of do a fire sale, well, not a fire sale, but if they have to do a, a bank repossession sale, then it, it, it can potentially sort of under or compromise the entire sort of financial system in Australia. If they sort of, I mean, obviously one or two is not going to make too much of a difference. But imagine you get that sort of that ripple effect, like every, all these are saying, "Oh, well, that, that property's I can value that property at six hundred because the one down the road sold for." So for 582 weeks ago or is under offer two weeks ago whereas yeah well okay great but what happens in three months time when there's another 40 50 listings and and now they're selling for 550 because supply and demand it's going to come come back a little bit and then and all of a sudden that sort of 580 is now sort of if you're borrowing sort of 95 percent yeah that's so that's is that the reason why a, a, va a valuer typically looks at three to six months uh, in the past or is that what's the reason for that well three or six like it depends on what market you're buying into and obviously as we all know there's markets within markets in australia and, and generally the ones that uh, from the buyer's agent side of things yeah, is like there's comp competition around there especially in the investment space because you're that's why we're there right we're all there to make money 
and you're buying those assets that have that good long-term growth prospect and they're generally below like that 750k mark so it's more affordable um and there's there's a strategy around that why you do that right like if more people can afford it if you do see you know recessionary times people sell out of a 1.5 million dollar home they still want somewhere to live and have that comfort so they go to those lower price brackets so um that's a little rant that i just sort of went on but i mean uh, from a values perspective, they go three to six months because that's their ideal time frame. We'll push out to 12 months if you have to. Uh, but like looking at the, I guess, the, the sales themselves and, and also understanding the, the mind of a valuer. Like I just wanted to try and throw that out there because I, I just never hear any valuers on podcasts. or So people don't understand the situation they're in. So, you know, walk a mile in someone's shoes. But uh, valuers get, would get paid for a, sub $750,000 property, I mean, 200 to 300 bucks max for the valuation. And of that, the valuation firm's taking maybe 50 to 60% of that. So that individual person might be, you know, taking home, say 150 bucks from that vowel, they're paying tax on that. They've got to drive out to the property. They've got to spend their time. It's not a time effective process to be as accurate as you would be as a potential buyer like oh, i was doing eight to ten valuations a day right like you just in you're out you move on to the next one you, you do the best you can it's a different mindset uh, what I'm getting i think at. i think i've got a solution sam we need robots that's that's the answer to the question not the answer well, we've, got the we've got rp data we've got realestate.com smart robots smarter robots and than this these, the ABMs on some of the like, how do you feel about these ABMs that the computers do um, in terms of price? Uh, there's a big push for it. They're wildly inaccurate. Would never lean on them. Uh, but they're, they're, like, yeah. they're definitely getting a lot better. And there's uh, if you're finding properties that are all very similar in that same location, um, that's how they get more accurate because they've got better data to collect. And then you know if it's recently been sold, say to a year, two years, three years, when they're adding on that growth rate, it, it does help because it's like, well, market value is what something's like, the definition of market value is willing buyer, willing seller, local agent, arm length transaction, right? So like when that transpires, then what those ABMs are just looking at that suburb growth data, adding that on, and then also assessing what other, say four bedroom, two bathroom houses are selling for in that area. It's collating all that data and spitting out like a range the issue I find around it is just that people are going in and they're putting offers on things with, you know, too much confidence on these AVMs and not doing the hard yards of, as you said, Joe, calling up the agents, understanding it, doing your research, maybe paying a bit of money for information. It's it's hundreds of thousands, often millions of dollars that we're dealing with. Like, spend a little bit of money or, or get a little bit of help. Like, it's going to save you every step of the way. Yeah. There's a good question that's popped up. How do you know if market valuation is off? Ooh, well, that's a subjective question. Everyone feels like their properties are worth more and the buyers think they're worth less. Um, but if you feel it's wildly inaccurate, then that's a good point to sort of hit on is um, like you do your own research, do your analysis. You know, if you can put together good comparable sales that can justify that the valuers are wrong and don't get me wrong they're just people and with that as I say the time constraint you know they may not be as accurate as possible and that doesn't reflect them as the individual but it reflects you as the homeowner because that's affecting your your borrowing capacity you know what equity you can use so 
I would definitely say if you feel it's off, then order a, uh, you can get them the valuation checked. Uh, so you can order a dispute on that valuation figure, th- like through your mortgage broker or through directly through your bank. Your issue that you're going to find is that value was a stubborn very, and very not- hard to overturn it. Not impossible, Sorry? but very hard yeah. to overturn it because, it's like, oh well, I'm, you want me to admit that I'm wrong? Like, yeah, exactly. And, and they're not getting paid to go back and re and and rejig the figure, right? So then, my suggestions then is to order a different valuation or from a different valuation firm. So you're getting a, a second person's opinion. Um, yeah. You know, because one, one of the, um, one of the, I wouldn't say tricks, but um, one of the things when, when, when I was a broker is because they often you, you hit on a key point, if particularly if you're in a small town, you, you mainly have sort of two or three valuation sort of companies. So then you, you go to, you go to, you say you're in CBA and you go to, I don't know, Liberty or, or um, Pepper or one of those sort of other value, uh, other lenders. And, and they sort of, and they say, oh, well, we get, a, but they get they get the same valuation guy or girl to go out there and 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 sort of look at it. But what you can, I think, I don't know if this is brokers correct me if, but what you can do is you can you can look to sort of pick some lenders will allow you to pick which who on their panel you go to, um, and not many. Um, and that was my sort of understanding because in that way you can sort of say rather than go if you only got two people on the panel or one person, you're going to get the same person. I think you could be in trouble trying to just. Dis- so you're just going to send the same person out there to get roughly the same result. Yeah, with, with banks. I mean, I, I done. I used to love it. I used to get valuations, and it might be with three different banks. That's like the dream, and it's the same property. So I get paid <laughs> three times to do the one report and just copy paste, copy paste, and then you're done. So yeah. that was a profitable day. <laughs> Joe had a question there. He had a gold question. Oh, I'm sure. I had a gold question, uh, but I've, I've slipped it. Um, I think your audio is a bit off again. Sorry, Joe, I didn't tell you, but it's. Oh. I think it's a bit. Yeah, sorry, man. Um, <laughs> I've just listened to it, but this is an interesting question. How do you estimate the intrinsic value, and what is intrinsic value? Like, is that the value that's worth to somebody, or like? Yeah, I believe that's, and that's intrinsic value from my perspective is well, you you can't you can't put a figure on human emotion or some, what someone's. You know, they might live in that location and wouldn't want to spend, you know, if they have opportunity, they wouldn't want to spend like, you know, any like $1.3 million to live where they like live, but their house might be worth 800 because they just love that spot and that front. So it's very difficult. You just got to go on, you know, direct comparables. And then if you're restricted there, go on the summation, which is what's the land and what's the improvements. And then, Doing the best you can is to keep putting all the the figures in place um, from that front. But I mean, like developers, they might see a lot of like value in that site, you know, from what they can do with it. So they'd be happy to pay that premium. So it can go both ways as well. Someone's given us an acronym, VRAs. Does that mean anything to you? <laughs> Evaluation risk alerts. Ah, oh. uh, yeah, yeah, well, I believe. I mean, it's... what does that mean? What what is a VRA? Uh, so each we do risk assessments. So you're looking at, um, yeah, like what what risks are there for that potential property? Like, say as an example, if there's power lines you know, within 50 meters. You have to flag that risk, and that basically on the back end, the, the banks want to know what risks are involved in that property. Um, from that point, I'm just looking at. Can you talk about that, Sam? 
Mm. Yeah, risk so the risk rating. ratings are just as important in a report as evaluation figures. Oh, they're, they're hugely important. Oh, are they? Okay. Because I, I always just thought like they put those in there just for, I mean, not to, but I, I often wondered what, what that, what that meant to the, the value, like the, the S, the, the valuation number they came out with, because I looked at them and was like, okay, I just, I don't know what that, what relevance that is. Yes. It's nice to know that my property might be close to bushfire zone or, or whatever it is, but what, how does that impact what my property is worth? That's, that's what, what's the connection? Well, if there's higher risk in the site, then there's less demand or like people, like there's not, a, the asset is not a, as high a quality. And then from the bank's perspective too, it, it affects, you know, your borrowing capacity. Like with that power lines example, banks won't lend any more than 80% on that. So if you're trying to buy that, it could be a great asset, but you might not have that 20% deposit to go through with it. And even with like the livability, if a place isn't suitable for rent, you've got a flag evaluation risk alert. And, and outline potential costs. But there's a method in that too is, you know, like there's all different tips and tricks. So a really good tip from that is if you're trying to buy a property that is, you know, someone's gone in and trashed it, but it's still a great asset and a great site. Like I'd say go and get a, a builder to go in there and give you a formal quote and then get the property valued on an as-if complete basis. So the value would go. Ah, in. yes. I love that one. That's that's a great one, yeah. Remember, remember that one Dean Parker went to that and he told us he could do – sort of that training in Sydney. You were at that one, weren't you, Joe? And, and he sort of said that that's what he'd sort of do. He'd sort of go and he'd go and get a property that needed a bit of love and he'd go and get a value or whatever it is to get out there and sort of see if he'd get a bank to commit to what it would be worth if he renovated it. And then, mm, yeah, uh, that, that's roughly, that's what you're talking about, isn't it, Sam? Yeah, and some valuers are a little bit like, uh, tweets their own. Um, they might just look at it, oh, contract price is you know, 800 grand, Renault's 200 grand, put a mill on it, move on, you know. But um, if they're good and they, they they do care about, you know, what they're actually doing, they'd use those direct comparables and, you know, you, could, you can get that equity uplift straight away, which is a good little tactic. Yeah, that's – is that easy to do? Like, is that common? Do you see – did you see that a lot? Uh, no, not from a purchasing perspective, but I'd have like I'd do a lot of valuations back in the day of yeah, people want renovations, so they'll you know provide that formal renovation quote and then has to be by a licensed builder. And then I'd go in and I'd assess the plans basically and then what they're planning to do. And then I'd the, the difficult part is you want to get the, the best quality drawings and, and like, I guess, a digital display of what it's going to look like so you can help mm -hmm. the value visualize what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, mm. Sometimes you just get a big list of, you know, these are all the things that we're going to do the property, but... Not particularly helpful, though, is it? It's just a list. Yeah. yeah. So, so one of the things you're talking about there is risks. So what are the types of risks that are out there? One of them was, was power lines. Like, what is... What are the things that, as an investor, I should look out for that the banks can get? Yeah, well, I mean, um, I'm trying to think back to when I was doing all those short form risks, but market uh, risk is one of them, is it? Is it market? Market environmental was obviously that, um, and then What's environmental. What's it? Well, that's the, like the environment they're in. So fire, flood, yeah, fire, flood, things like that. Um, I mean, the suitable for rent. I'm just trying to. Yeah, I probably should get. I, I can't actually get access to the reports that I've done. I can't distribute them legally, so it would have been good to sort of filter through. But there's generally four key risks, like the valuation risk alerts, that they go through, and you uh, allocate um, where you see that risk uh, for that 
potential property type. So it could be that it's, you know, um, you know undulating land. So there could be slippages, uh, which you need to flag uh, a multitude of different reasons. If it's um, within, like another one is if you're near an abattoir, you can get like uh, pollution, smells, like even the um, environmental goes into, that's why I never buy that backs onto a state-based road. You know, you get that pollution and obviously from a growth perspective, it's pretty rubbish. Backed onto an abattoir. <laughs> how many how many abattoirs are there in Australia? Oh, <laughs> we less and less. We got we got to eat, you know. <laughs> true, 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 Contra, true. Yeah. Oh, I, I, there's one, one in the Wyndham Hemet region in Brizzy. I remember driving past it. You smell it. You can't unsmell it. Oh, jeez. Unsmell it. So some, somebody, uh, well, not somebody, but you, you you mentioned one of the common things that you're asked is how often should you get your property appraised? Like what, what's a, what's your common, what's your way you enter that one? Yeah, well, from a, I mean, from a valuer, I'd say, oh, from an analyst as well, from anyone. Every second day. Get, get a, a job. Oh, uh, get it every, every year. It gives a little bit of time to grow. I mean, you don't want to deal with it random valuers walking through your house every every second day it'd be a pain in the ass um but i like to say every 12 months mainly because yeah you can reassess your your mortgage rate you know shop around with different lenders get a better borrowing capacity you know you get that growth and then you can have that decision on well if i've got inbuilt equity into that what can i do with it and then you start making those more educated decisions uh, rather than just sitting back on your couch thinking i could probably buy an investment property or um you know, you've got to get those hard figures. So one of the things, like when I think about valuation is, should I provide the valuer with my own in-depth analysis of this property and my thoughts and the, the the stats and the backup and a big report that I I make for myself, should I provide that to a valuer or will they just throw it in the bin and say, I know, I know how to do my job or is it worthwhile? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I yeah, once again, it depends who you're getting involved with. Uh, I mean, for me personally, um, I'd brief over it, have a quick look, um, but I wouldn't pay too much attention to it. Uh, with every valuation, there's an estimate that gets put in from the broker or, or whatever. Um, yeah, obviously get those and they're always, they always seem to be very high. Um, <laughs> and you mean my uh, property's not worth $2 million? I say I'm all for it. Like aim high because then like the value is going to that perception. You know, you think it's 1.2. You know, they can't justify anything over the, over 1 million. They they might be more favourable on that front. You know, it's better to aim for the, what do they say? Shoot for the stars and land on the moon. I'll take it. I think, <laughs> I think, I think this is, um, this is a, techn a technical question, but I, I want to know because... It's important to maybe it'll help people to understand what are the legal requirements on on, on a value up because what's 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 uh, what are the what are your obligations of, as a valuer in Australia? At least? Yeah, well, that's a, I mean, a good question. That's sort of leaning into the the side of why there's conservative valuers um, on that front because they can get sued. You know, like um, every valuation that you do lasts up to seven years. You know. So, wow, seven years. Yeah, so Jesus. like evaluation that I did like six years ago, I can still get sued for, right? So 
Uh, we've all got professional indemnity and you have to hold that professional indemnity for that you know, full seven-year period once you exit you know, the industry. The, the firm holds it for you, so you don't have to get out of your back pocket. But um, you know, I, I came up during um, the, the, the GFC time, so I was doing those retrospective valuations. And this does happen, right? Like in those downturns, uh, I was valuing properties in, say, 2012, 13 and then i was uh basically oh sorry i think i was an assistant back then but um yeah i was i was valuing them in that sort of teen period back in 2010 09 and i was like seeing what sort of figures people were putting in on those properties like 06 was rife with just like that kicker in growth and people just throwing money at properties 2006 2007 so what banks would do is like well someone might pay that say $2.2 million, but there's no comparable evidence to justify 2.2 other than the heat in the market at that time. And an emotional buyer, as we talk about, like in those environments, you're missing out on properties over and over again. You get the get the, the shits with it and end up just throwing an extra 50 grand, 100 grand at it just to get the deal done because the agent's, you know, playing games with you. And that's their job, right, to get the highest price. But people don't understand the psychology of actually the deal because I don't do it every day, but I was going back and I was going, well, a value was ticked this off at 2.2 million. There's no sales to justify that figure. So I was going in and well, it was probably 2.2 million and 50 at best based on all the comparables that I can see. And then the bank would then go and and take that and sue the value of the difference. Of the difference. And then $50,000 is a lot of money. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, they generally there's like a and this is all just sort of like pie in the sky figures but uh, as you hear about on the way like they won't sue you unless there's a couple of hundred grand we made out of it right it's not worth it it's not in their best interest only the lawyers make money out of it so if you've got a combination of uh, valuations from a firm they'll probably do a group assessment and then go after you but it's very rare it's just that when you've been involved in that and you get put up on a stand and you get grilled by these law firms um yeah, it's not a pleasant experience and it sticks with you. So have you been have you grilled before then? Oh, no, no. Uh, I haven't been put up on a stand, but I've definitely been, you know, gone after from evaluation. Like I was doing a commercial evaluation. Um, it was basically an industrial site with multiple tenancies. Yeah, long story, but it was um, the value that we put on it, it ended up they, they took that figure on the contract price because they took it to auction uh, they they got like the highest bidder was seven million dollars and and then they they didn't sell at auction they took it back to market they ended up the, the agent got one of the buyers up to 7.25 million dollars from memory and then we valued that at well it's um it's 7.25 million dollars that's contract price you know based on all the evidence and all the the uh, the campaign and and obviously comparable sales as well to get to that figure we were happy with it and we would document all evidence but someone came after us because uh, you know obviously the last ten years have seen some really great growth and they they basically it was a null and void claim but they still came after us saying well I wouldn't have sold that property at that purchase price because um, it was too low and it's too low because now it's just resold for twenty two million dollars wow. Yeah. Oh, for the exact same site <laughs> yeah. because they didn't, but did they not like read, like I'm sure they did improvements to get it to that 
to get it to that level, right? Well, I, I, yeah, I didn't look too far into it from that front. I let the lawyers to like decide all that because, like, when they told us about it, I got served a notice and everything. It was really interesting. We're having all these meetings. So, so they're not saying you valued it too low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But did, did you not just? So one of the things that I, I speak to a lot of like new investors, and um, they're like, "Guess what, Joe? The property just came back at the exact amount of money we purchased it at." And I'm like. Yeah. Yeah. So why do the banks why do the banks do that? Because um it feels like it feels weird when when someone says that to me. I'm like, oh well, yeah, the reason like they, they do that, that's just a process. But can you explain why and how that all kind of works? Yeah, well that's the definition of market value, what someone's willing to pay on the day. And once again, risk assessors value is like they're not gonna you pay six hundred grand for a house and you know, you can see value up to six twenty. You know, the owners signed off and agreed at 600. That's contract price. That's market value. Why put your neck over the line so someone can have an extra 20 grand that you don't know? You know, like just get in, get it done, justify it, move on. And then the banks wouldn't want that either, would they? Like they wouldn't want you to. Yeah. Well, you don't get that direct word from. No banks ever called me and say, Sam, go go higher. It's just from a logical standpoint, like put yourself in the shoes. Would you do it? Would I would I risk more for? But then, but then, by the sounds of things, you're risking a little bit by under by giving it the amount of money. Like at, at that story you just told me, the, that guy came after you because you sold it for X, and they sold it two three years later for Y. Oh, um, no. it, was, it was in Burley Burley Waters, so Burley just went absolutely bonkers over the last few years. But it was yeah. um, like during that low period of you know the base of the, the bottom of the the cycle around 2012, 2013, where there was just no buyers, right? Like everyone was just scared to the crap because I just went to the GFC. Those that bought assets were still depreciating. So there was just not a lot of buy demand. And then you see this influx of like the that sea change and the big population boom into the Southeast Queensland market. And then obviously zoning rechanges like this site, it, it's an anomaly, but it was just, it went, it was phenomenal. And they ended up getting, you know, 22 million bucks for it. And then for some reason, like we all sat around the table. It couldn't, didn't really make sense other than someone was unhappy and a lawyer saw an opportunity to make some money to put a claim in and charge someone a fee to go down that process. So when we rebutted the claim, we haven't heard anything from them since. And that's been over a year now. So it's kind of been like, well, what a, what a, what a waste of everyone's time. But yeah, oh, people... That sucks for you as well because you're not even in that business anymore. You're not even a part of that, and you just get a you're call. Still for seven years though. Seven years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But I, I, I want to know. I want to know about. Uh, sorry, Joe. Do you want to ask more questions about that? Or, uh, I'm interested in because this is a, a potentially spicy one. Maybe not. Maybe it's spicy because Joe's Joe's a big fan of them. Um, mm. Off the off the plan. Like, how how did you kind of not value- big fan at all. <laughs> <laughs> In, invest right. invest heavily in uh, high land supply areas. You'll do really well. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, don't do that. That's the opposite. But so, so how did you um, how did you sort of how do you come to that sort of how do you value an off the plan kind of purchase? Like when when you well, depends on yeah, that's a tough one, is it? Oh no, that's easy, man. Like you just get um, you most of the time the off the plan you undervalue them because the land price is not justified by any comparable sales. So when you're doing off the plan, like one, they're generally in you know, the outskirts of town and they've just been 
cut up. So the the land prices that they end up selling for, because they got you know massive marketing budgets, they get that premium. We can't justify it. Um, but you, you basically get the contract price for land, contract price for the building. You put those two figures together, and then you try and find existing comparable sales in that region. If you can't find that ex that existing comparable sales, then you justify your figure based on what you can, right? So a lot of that comes is that, you know, that surrounding area, most of the land sizes might be 800 to 1,000 square metres. And then you've got this land subdivision going for three to 400 square metres. But at the same price as like, if you actually looked around, you know, there you could have bought a block of land in that same region, but be 800 square metres for the same price. Yes. And then... You're like, well, why wouldn't you just go and do that, get a big block of land and do the same build? It doesn't make any sense. But people, they get caught up in all the can the marketing campaigns, right? And they want that new build and um, with the specky homes. Yeah, yeah, that's how. I so how do, you how do you value land? So I, I'm, um, I'm doing a, a development at the moment for, my, for myself and I'm looking at land prices to subdivide, split them up, sell them. But then I look at areas and land hasn't sold for three years in some pockets a year or six months and it's just different sizes how do you come up with a price for for land sales yeah man that's a, that's a very good and difficult question <laughs> uh look you, you want to break them all try and find the best like vacant land sales that you can find um within 12 month period and then you get that get the sale price divided by the the land area the larger the land the um I guess the, the lower Bigger discount the, on a rate per square meter, so it's just like economies of scale, right? Like if you've got a bigger mm. block of land, the rate per square meter is lower. Um, mm. And when it gets more dense, you, you pay that a little bit more premium. So you're trying to find, obviously, apples with apples as much as you can. When you can't do that, you're basically just cherry picking, you know, surrounding suburbs or, you know, dated sales, adding in those the, the growth data to try and help you justify it. And then but, another key thing is to look at houses that, you know, have been demolished or are really dilapidated where there's no value in it. And then you take what they're looking to pay for that because if you are if you buy a, a, a property and there's a, you know, a dilapidated house on it, you spend your 20 or 30 grand in demolishing it, you then got a vacant block of land. So what the true value of that block of land is what someone actually paid for it plus that demolition cost. Yeah. Couldn't, yeah. Couldn't you, um, what I was just thinking, I, I, maybe I'm thinking outside the box here, which I'm sure values do, but um, couldn't you, isn't there a way you could tap into the the old uh, value generals? And I'm sure it's called different, sort of indifferent. Couldn't you then sort of say, okay, well, there's a block, there's a property over there that's also on 800 square meters, that the value of that land is is 350K. Therefore, this block of land, I mean, all things being equal, obviously you have to still have to look at the land, like it might be sloping, undulating, all that. Could you then sort of say, okay, well, that's what this block should be valued at? Was that, was that too simple? Yeah, I used to, I actually did work experience for the Vales General back in the day. And um, look, the, the unencumbered land value that, um, that they, they work in is generally a really conservative figure. And as a homeowner, you want it to be conservative because that's what your rates are based off. Uh, but they're just not an accurate reflection, like majority of the time, what that value of the land's worth. No, it'd be but, perfect for a value. Like it's like it's but, like a perfect match. You got a conservative value. You got a conservative value general. Like isn't that just like 
just come up with a perfect like it's just like conservative number. number. <laughs> I mean, you can you can think outside the box on that front and go, well, you sort of pro rata it, where if you got you know that site, the unaccompanied land value is three fifty, your one's three hundred, but you know that sold for four hundred, so that was sold for an X percent premium. You know, add that on. That's where the art starts coming into it, where you just you just yeah. keep thinking about alternative ways to put figures on these things to give you more you're doing you're doing 10 jobs a day though so eight to ten jobs so you're doing like you got a half an hour to do this so you don't necessarily have a lot of time to go so, exactly so as a property valuer do you just put your glasses on as a property value and just look on real estate and then are like there's a deal there's a deal there's an opportunity i should buy that i should buy that like does it feel like that or is it a little different in in real in the real world uh, nah, because I, I, people come to you all the time and they do the same for you. It'd be like, you know, what's it worth? And the answer to that is, well, let me look into it. I'm not going to put a figure on it because there's just, there's so many elements to it. You know, like it's, it could be, a, it could, you know, as you, you go in, you see a property, oh, that's a great, that's on the face of it, looks really great. And then you start scratching deeper in the service and then, then you understand that, oh, that that's why. And that might even come all the way down to the very end where you've, You've got the contract in place and your building and pest comes in and you go, oh, that's why. Or your finance comes in and you get knocked back on finance because you didn't do your risk assessments properly or you do diligence properly. So, yeah. It's not that easy. Joe, Joe's figuring out ways he could he can uh, continue to expand his his empire. He can take over the world. He can get on that podcast and How to take over the world. When you... When you know your market, like, you know, you're buying it every single day. That's why I'm such a massive advocate for buyers agents, right? It's like you're doing it every single day. Your skill sets are so much sharper than those that do it, you know, every now and then. I mean, was it the stats are strains by property once every 11 years? You know, it's it's difficult to do this. And it's, um, yeah, most people just go around and do it themselves. And you, you, the thing with property is you don't know you've stuffed up you know yeah it's the hardest thing when when you submit an offer and then it gets accepted and you're like oh well i should have bid down five thousand dollars i should have bid down ten thousand dollars or whatever that whatever that number is it is a tough pill sometimes when it does get accepted uh straight away um but you know it's just it's just you need to know what the market is what what is actually happening yeah in the real world going into the like the psyche of the the agent as well like knowing who you're dealing mm -hmm. with and like this like i say i can you know get to a a really good accuracy on where i think price can run to and go to but i can't take into account human emotion you know like that intrinsic value that's where you get that you know those properties that go for that you know 10 percent premium than what you expected and you're just blown away but then the issue now is that if they're a cash buyer and they like that sets the precedence for what someone's willing to pay. So then that's the market, you know, that's that comparable sales evidence that goes through that value was then used. And it's a, you know, if it's a property that's been listed for sale and that buyer, that's it's constantly setting the precedence. So it's, um, yes, being in the market every day definitely helps. Love it. Well, let's run our, uh, second ad and then we'll dive into more valuation tips um anyone that has any comments and questions throw them in there now and then we can jump to jump to some questions let's do it
Ladies and gentlemen, we have a special announcement from the master of commercial property investing, Steve Polisi. I love commercial property. Get ready to have your minds blown as Steve is back and he's got some pretty exciting news for us. Steve is unleashing his second sensational book upon the world. And get this, for the Oz Property Investors members out there, he's giving it away absolutely free. Mm -hmm. Yep, 100% free. Yep. 100% free for all property enthusiasts who want to learn and grow on their commercial property investing journey. But he's also added a little extra chili to make this deal even spicier. With this free book, you'll also receive a complimentary one hour strategy session with the man himself. Imagine a full 60 minutes with Steve's commercial and property genius dedicated to helping you master the intricate dance of commercial property investing. And who better to dance with the man who looks better than Patrick Swayze in Dirty Dancing? I don't know about that. Want to grab this offer? It's super easy. If you're live right now, click the link in the comments and secure it today. If not, grab your device, open up the browser, head over to policyproperty.com, look for the book page and grab your free copy of Steve's latest masterpiece. And when you're checking out, make sure to use the exclusive code OZPROP to secure the free book and also your free one-hour strategy session. My only concern with this offer is that Steve's going to have to turn it off soon as he can only do so many sessions. So if you want to secure your spot, do so today. Oh, nearly passed out there. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good ad. Well That's done. a very good ad. <laughs> that is a very good ad. I love the ad. background. <laughs> <laughs> I love that ad. I think they've done so well. One of the questions I had is, is around, so your, what's your role in, in Hello House? Like what do you call yourself? Oh, just Sam. Yeah, <laughs> you're isn't it? Like, you're like if, property, if property, inter, internal property valuer and acquisition specialist at uh, at, at Hello House. How does the, the 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 this role that you do now, valuation wise, differ from the role that you do as previously did as a valuer? Like, how do these two worlds differ? Because I feel like realistically, the Sam that's buying today is yeah a little bit more realistic than the sam that is the previous property value like how do these worlds differ yeah uh okay we, we touched that a little bit um before so what i do now is uh obviously like look over the whole analyst department of hello house and uh, by doing that like i'm not valuing property so to, to do an actual valuation there's two different um ways of looking at it like there's a valuation and there's an appraisal so what I do now is appraisals because I don't physically go and inspect these properties. But with all the digital side of things now, like with floor plans and uh, I guess all the, uh, I guess the mapping and like the, I can go and see what topography levels that we're working in, street view, you know, it's it's really helps my, my, my world, right? Um, but yeah, the appraisal side of things is, is how I put it forward. Um, but just having that, obviously, the training and the knowledge of, uh, as a valuer, it, I mean, I was doing the math the other day with a um, mate, Jared, and I've looked at over 15,000 properties in my life, like I valued them and appraised them. So I used to do, say, 10 a day for eight years or whatever it was. It adds up. And yeah. that's like, it just one of those things that just becomes second nature because you do it so often. Pay rise for Sam. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably braided, isn't it? Not braided, braided. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, in hitting on that, so that like the difference, whether it's Scott listening in, maybe. Um, <laughs> I don't think he'd be saying that. <laughs> he, uh, oh, well, he, Scott's done it for. He's done. He's done the same thing, right? He was you know, selling properties for twenty five years. He's been in the industry for twenty eight. Like it's just that level of you know you do it so often you get pretty good at it. And Scott taught me a lot coming out of that valuation mindset in that um, you know interviewing the agents and grilling them and really getting down into you know how they're positioning their seller and where the other offers are coming in at there's an there's a massive art to that and that only has just come like it only amplified the skill set that i had and now it's just like between the two of us and the rest of the team here now it's just you know everyone's got an opinion right and it just sort of bouncing off each other and you know when you're dealing with people's money it's pretty important to get it right so uh, yeah, that's the, the shift that's gone through. So how do you, yeah, how do you get to, I don't know. I've lost yeah, my how do you, question. How do you get to market market Asia? Is that a question like what, what is no, the steps involved? Is that where you want to, you want to know the secret? What are the or? steps? What are the secret sauce? Give us the steps. How do we do it? How do we actually uh, do it? Doing both, mate. You got to do your evaluation mind was like the say the direct comparison. Then looking at what the land improvements, and then looking at your income approach capitalization. So what 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 are improvements? What's an improvement? Like the house, like the what what's built on it. So shed, pool, house, like the four bed, two bath, brick home that's on there. The land's just if you basically demolished everything, that's the land. Like even the driveways, right? That cost money to put things on, and then. That's that's one. That's the first side of it, and then pick up the phone, talk to the selling agent, talk to the other competing agents in the area, get their opinion. Just keep adding those different layers of, of confluence to your your analysis. It takes a lot of time, you know. But if you're buying one property every eleven years, then you know take the time, get it right. The issue is on that front is that it takes a lot of time to actually get um, accurate at it. And then by the time you get good at it, you've missed out on 16 properties because it's taking it that long. And then you end up just getting the shits with it and just paying too much. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> See it all the time. <laughs> well, that's, okay. that's, yeah, that's exactly it. Like, that's why like I love what we do. And you know, it's just trying to like people have been educated to go it alone for so long and it's, um, it's costing them a lot of money and I've seen it and they're getting poor advice and there's just, I mean, massive marketing campaigns. And then you get from these developers and businesses, and then you got sales agents that uh, they train in this stuff. Like that's their job is to get the highest price possible. So what are you doing to get the lowest price possible? How are you educating yourself? Well, obviously your community is great because like they're listening to things like this and they're getting better at it and more power to you. So you if you're, what's your advice to someone who's just starting out in their investment journey and they don't want to use a buyer's agent, they want to go it alone, like what's your kind of advice for them to get started? Because, you know, Australia is a massive place. You can't get across every single, every single market. Do you have like, you know, tips and tricks to kick it off themselves? Well, you've got to understand where the best growth markets are. So finding, it's like working your way down, right? You go, you got your 500 grand rough figures. Where you're going to put it? There's opportunity cost there. I mean, a two percent per annum growth rate over ten, over a twenty-year period on a seven fifty purchase is a million bucks difference, right? Like, Crazy. sorry, that's, that's data, but like, yeah, if you buy a house today for seven hundred fifty grand and it grows you know, by five percent, 
or you go and get really good location research or work with a specialist that has that and that grows at seven percent per year compounding for 20 years like that's a million bucks you know like it's a it's big change to just go and you know buy in your backyard like it's um but your backyard might be good but um is it is it the best location in australia often it's not so Sorry. I think the, the the answer to that was uh, was was data and boots on the ground, isn't it, Joe? Isn't isn't that the answer? No, I'm not. Sounds saying like that. it. There's no. There's no. Yeah. There's, there's no. There's no right answer to. I, I think yeah, it's, it's interesting to sort of think that there is a, an absolute um, science to um, predicting what a what, what a property or what a market will do over the next sort of ten or fifteen years. I think over the next sort of three to challenging. five years. Yeah, I think it's yeah. Be cautious of that. But so the uh, long, the long, long term is very tough. But the short term, I mean, there's yeah, data no indicators that are yeah. It's going to give you like I think I think it's very easy to predict the next six months of of property growth. Like it really doesn't take that much to be able to do that. But it's when you start going beyond that where you get a little bit where it gets a little bit blurry. But it's just like anything. As soon as it extends out, it gets blurrier. Yeah. Oh, you go. I'd say I didn't answer your question, but it's like start with location, get that right, and then you know go into and, and niche into what asset like that you're actually trying to purchase. Is it residential? Is it commercial? Like, and then finding out well that's the sort of property type um, in that location that fits my budget. It might be a three bed, one bath, might be four bed, two bath, and then you spend a bit of time, get educated. I mean, don't go and buy a property that week. Go and miss out on a few. Understand the market. Like, get really sort of educated on that that little niche but don't take too long because you might miss that you know that three months of growth might have gone up five percent so now your 500 grand budget's not enough yeah that's definitely my tip in today's market is one get educated obviously know what to pay but is also don't throw silly offers and expect i was chatting with someone and i'm like so what's your kind of buying strategy how do you go ahead and you know how do you do the thing um and they're like, oh, I'm gonna, I go in low. I go in with a 500. And I'm like, but you know, it's worth 550. That yeah, 500 is where I would go in. Like, well, that's you're not, gonna, you're never gonna win it because the market is going to eat you alive. So don't go in. That's my advice to anyone that is listening tonight. If you think a property is worth 550, and uh, you think you can secure it for 550, go in pretty close to that you know um go in at 545 and move your way up or just say look i really care about this deal let's get it for 550 it's worth 550 and let's go for so, it because so we we stopped kind of asking oh man well, not we but um some something that, that used to be sort of there was was you'd sort of ask the agent or you'd ask the person how they want to sort of run the process like do they like whether they want to sort of you to come and be your best or close to your best, or you want to sort of do you, do you bother asking? Ask. Yeah, but I don't know. Like I think it's an interesting one because surely most agents are just going to say, "I'll oh, just give me your close to your best." Like they don't want to stuff around with that. How do, what's your experience with that anyway, Sam? What, 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 what have you found? No, you know, you know what it's worth first before you start throwing offers out. I'll get good confidence oh. around that, and then yeah, yeah. Have, have a negotiation strategy. Like don't just as Joe said, if you just do a one, you're not learning anything by by that. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot to it, um, but you know it's, you can always learn them, um, learn the skills. It's just you know, don't get frustrated. There's always a property to buy in the market, um, and just keep keep learning and growing and yeah, educate yourself. 
listen to these podcasts and you know do whatever you can to um you know get better at it maybe i maybe you guys need to develop a a course or something <laughs> maybe there's already there's already a great course isn't there <laughs> get by a ready course of sorts um there's a question that's come in uh, about uh messy tenants can messy tenants give you a lesser valuation how do you disconnect that from your mind um knowing true because as a as a property investor i know that this messy tenant is absolutely nothing it has nothing to do with this but when you look at a dump you're like wow that is terrible i think it's worth 500 and it's actually worth 550 but it just has a messy tenant how do you think about that uh, for me personally, the way I look at it is like, well, you know, if it was looking nice based on the comparables, say it's round figures, 500 grand, what would it cost to get this freshened up? It might, like, depends on if it's a messy where it's just like clothes and, you know, poor furniture choices everywhere, then you look past that. You know, it's the bones that you're looking at, like, and the, the quality of like the, the paint job, the carpet, the kitchen, the bathrooms, like, understanding all that. But there is a lot of like, if you let maintenance go, that, it costs to you know fix all that stuff up if you don't if you're not looking after your, you know the leaves in your gutters for example like that could lead to you know water going into your roof line and then that's costing you more money and i mean yeah there's definitely that perception of if it looks like crap then you know you you're gonna go and probably put a lower figure than expected on it because if like when a valuer goes into that property you're valuing it what it's worth on that day so the way you're looking at it is going well to get right. this up to scratch to sale, it's going to cost you five grand. So I'd probably put a five grand discount on it, or I'd do a risk assessment and then risk it down and saying it needs you know, X dollars to to bring it up to scratch. So yeah, that 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 makes a good point. Um, and also, like there is an emotional element. I mean, with the with the value as well, they go there and they see it, it's like, whoa, I don't want to live here. This is not got owner occupied appeal. I'm not feeling it. Um, I imagine. It, like I would, I, I feel like that would happen to me as well. Um, then the question that's come up, is a site worth more if it has a DA on it? Do you, does that come into play? Yeah. Yeah, it does. There's obviously a lot of time and effort and money to go get a DA. Um, it depends on where you are in the market, market cycle, whereas what premium someone's willing to pay for that DA because you can go get a DA on a property, but if no one's actually wanting to do that DA on that site because it's not profitable, then the DA is, you know, not worth anything, right? Like it's, um, you can go get a DA on something. My mind always goes to sites that have a DA on it. It's like, well, why haven't they done it themselves? And then delving further into it. So yeah, yeah. It's usually, yeah. usually probably because it's not, uh, it's not not profitable to um, to develop it, and it's sort of, you sort of, I mean, yes, you you could sort of. You could buy it, you buy and hold it, but then you sort of say, well, if you're not going to develop it sort of closer straight away, then I mean, DAs I think are only in place depending on where it is for two to three years or whatever it is. They do lapse, maybe sometimes a bit longer. Um, yeah, and yeah. also it's pretty cheap. Sometimes some some markets you can get a really cheap DA, and it's like, well, yeah. that's only twenty grand worth of value, or ten grand, or five grand. Sometimes it's yeah. not really worth anything, and no one wants an eighteen block of units when it's all general you know residential it's not it's going to take many years before that's a viable product yeah, yeah the, other, the, the other thing to um the other thing to to factor in 
is is they might be uh, might not have paid for the con- connecting sort of services as well, or that's because mm-hmm. it probably won't be connecting services because all you've really got with DA is a piece of paper, really, that's saying that it can be done. But it's how much does it cost? Like, what is there? How much does the driver driver to install? What sort of other things? I do need to get sort of extra sewerage back in there if there's. I mean, you probably hopefully don't, but there's all those kind of factors that people. Yeah, the question um, I, I wanted to sort of understand. What are, what are some of the things around evaluation that are the common sort of myths and myths and misconceptions? Like, what are those things that people should? What, what do you want to put to bed now? Those myths. Uh, well, I think we touched on a lot of them about like the reason reasons why they can be conservative. That's the, probably the biggest thing. Everyone's like, "Oh, value is just conservative," and I've valued things that are higher than what they ended up selling for. You know, it's just. You know, you know, you go in, you, you do the best you can with what you've got. And, um, you know, it depends on that market at that time. Like, you definitely, I'm, I'm constantly learning, like, about, you know, what really drives value. And, um, and I imagine I'll just keep learning for the rest of my life. Uh, it's just, I guess I've got a 10-year head start. So, <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, what are the biggest myths and conceptions? Um Oh, I mean, value value adding, right? Like people think that they can, I'll do a, I'll put this, this is a common question I actually get. So good point. Um, I want to add a bedroom and a bathroom upstairs. I want to add another level. Yeah. You know, it's going to cost me 300 grand to do that. You know, wow. my house must be worth, if it's a million bucks a day, it's got to be worth at least $1.3 million now. No, not the case. <laughs> you you got to... If you can find a site that, that you know that is the case, or there's more money, then by all means go and do it. Um, mm-hmm. But more often than not, like that expense to go and do that is greater than what you could probably go and buy a property for that's two stories in that region that will be used as comparable sales. It's just that from a buyer's perspective, if they were to sell that property, they got to pay 30, 40 grand in agents' fees to sell it, and they got to buy the next one and pay you know the. 40 grand in stamp duty so for them it's actually cheaper to do the to do the um the second story build uh and stay in the same location the same house but from the general public perspective not so much how how do you value granny flats because we you see this all the time where someone so i have People come to me, they're like, hey, I'm building a granny flat. We paid $500,000 uh, for the house and it's $200,000 for the granny flat. Um, what, you know, value will walk through. What's the what's the value of the property now? Yeah, How's that really work? Um, I, I, yeah, it was subjective in that the, the value was going through. Uh, I like the granny flat players on corner lots because you're not hindering the main dwelling. A lot of the granny flat players and people are pushing it, you know, it actually detracts from the value of the main house. Um, mm. to add that on. Um, but from a valuation perspective, they're going to be looking at established homes with granny flats in place you know, as comparable sales as well. And um, they're very difficult to find. So it's you, you probably find values being more conservative on that front. Um, because when you can't find good comparables, then you know you try and you do the best you can. But you know if it's say a two hundred twenty thousand dollar granny flat to build on that site, and you've got a five hundred thousand dollar property, will it be worth seven hundred? Well, you go around like, would someone actually pay seven hundred grand for that? And being that local expert, you'd have a more feel for it. And sometimes you know it, it 
it could be a profitable play. Uh, often it, in my past, it hasn't because, you know, you pay that 200 grand and, you know, the, the main residence is now not worth the 500 grand because they got a driveway down the side of it and people going down the side of their house and they got a no backyard. So, yeah, that's how I look yeah. at it. It's definitely one to be one to be cautious of as an investor that that expects both capital growth and cash flow from from a granny fund because it definitely doesn't get taken the same from a valuation perspective, unfortunately. And there's not many very there's not very many granny flats being sold anyway. Like I don't see realestate.com flooded with with um, with granny flats. One of the other things uh, I wanted to chat to is I'm I'm looking at locations where there's um, high yields right i see a lot of people interested in high yields it comes up in the group all the time and uh i i was looking actually i think we had a chat about it offline sam about a deal that was i don't know uh but had a eight percent yield and it's ridiculous ridiculous yield but the the value the value of the actual property was every day of the week were worth 400,000 but the agent was trying to justify the price of 450 based on the yield that the house was getting so how do you think about that play like when it starts to turn from a residential valuation into a yield valuation based on how much return the actual assets getting well, when you buy, say it's a low residential site, then you know, you, you're using residential sales from that front. So the value is actually not looking at the income that's being generated of that residential home. If you want those income approaches, they mainly come in that um, the commercial play. Uh, that's how you do your your primary check with commercial is yeah, your your capitalization approach. But I use a capitalization approach as a buyer because you know that helps me justify you know properties so i look for what those yields are going for in that area to justify that but uh, that property that we mentioned like there's so many unique aspects to it um the risk from like the purchaser's perspective is you know well what what's your end buyer gonna be like your emotional owner occupiers who you want to be selling into uh, yeah so like yeah. I, I look at that, the yield, it's great cash flow. And if you can convert it or it can be that, you know, house in the in the in the future, that's a really good play. And you get great income and good holding income. The value is in the land at the end of the day, and you can do a full reno, you know, in 10 years' time and sell it off. But I'd also check what the agent's saying. Is are those rents justified? Are they inflated with the current tenants? If they move out, are you at risk if they don't get the same rent? Hundred percent. Love this, mate. This has been a uh, this has been a, a valuation deep dive. Some of the things that you just don't think about as a as a normal everyday property investor have come up on um come on come up on this chat. Um, is there anything that we haven't kind of gone deep into that you're like, oh no, I wish we wish we spoke about that. Now's your now's your chance. Oh God, I'm I'm not sure. You guys, uh, hopefully, I've provided some kind of value. That's like all I wanted <laughs> to do. Um, uh, I mean, I, I'd also take into account, like, and this is why, I mean, the economic side of the brain is um, understanding the market cycles. I've mentioned that a few times here and having someone who is entrenched in that um, it gives you confidence on you know, what you're actually doing. So, like, valuers can't do that. It's just more of a, if you know the market you're in um, and it is rising, you've got that confidence, then uh, I'd say to people, 
look at it from the big picture. I mean, most people sit back and go, well, you know, if you paid $5,000 more than what you were hoping for or $10,000 more than what you were hoping for to secure a really good asset, you know, over a 10, 20 year period, you know, it won't mean much. You know, it's just that good quality asset that you can hold long-term is what you're aiming for. And um, value, is, value is subjective. It's what someone's willing to pay for it on that day. Um, so yeah, do your research, do your analysis, pick up the phone or talk to someone who you know, does it every day and uh, you know, just try and mitigate your risk as much as possible. Sorry, yes. I, I, I want to I get this one. This, this, this is a great, I think this is an interesting question. Um, is, is it, it fair to value um, an old property based on the estimated cost of building a similar house today and applying a depreciation discount? When you say depreciation, that's, are we talking tax depreciation or what? Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Like you can, so that's how I used to do it with the, you, you get your insured value. And so when you're putting in your rates per square meters, because you get different rates for living, outdoor and garage, and then you got, you know, what what's a pool worth, whatever. And then you depreciate that over the time. So a house has a 40-year depreciation period from that point. But um, yeah, even after 40 years, a house has still got some kind of intrinsic, uh, some value. Uh, I've got that word in my mind now. But um, I'd say like that, that is a good approach. And that's your summation side of it that I was mentioning is like you're getting, like if you're really struggling, it's like, well, try and understand what the land's worth. What would it cost to put that house on there today? How old is that house? And discount that back by you know, the, uh, a reasonable percentage figure to help bring that confidence level in. Um, a lot of people do go, oh, well, like to build that house is 500 grand anyway, so I'm buying it for under replacement value. And I say, well, it's kind of irrelevant. I'm, I'm more worried what's that actual property being, like what's it valued today based on comparable sales evidence? Because that's your primary with residential is like, it's just direct comparables. Yeah. That's, that's, that's all you can, that's, that's what you go off. Super interesting. Yeah. I didn't, uh, I didn't expect such an in-depth question, uh, answer from that, from that question. So that's great question. <laughs> yeah. Good question. Whoever, whoever did that one, but yeah, there's, um, I get, like, I don't know. I'm not always right either. Um, I said, I'm always learning and, um, yeah, you, you try to do the best you can with what you've got. It, it's great to have so many different data points and, and, you know, we spend a lot of money to get to that point as well. So it is a very fortunate position we're in. But um, yeah, so. You, so what, you know. what are some of the, the, let's just say you haven't got access to all the paid data tools that you have. What are some of the free tools that you would use to come up with a price? So let's say you dropped on a, you know, a brand new MacBook in a deserted island and you have to come up with a price of a property. How would you, what free tools can we use to really dig in and get the best value um, for that, for that asset. A good tip that Scott taught me was jump on real estate, go on your buy section or and your sold section, and filter by price highest to lowest to understand you know where they sort of sit on that end. Um, so you can sort of scroll quickly, scroll through um, <laughs> on the. Uh, <laughs> someone said ring Sam. Um, you can scroll through on the the listings, and you can you start to get a really quick snapshot. You can shuffle shuffle through on the photos to see you know their direct comps, but um, go the extra further step and, and bring up the map view because you know mm -hmm. the best comps are the ones that are closest to it because you know, there's streets within suburbs that are better than others. Uh, that's a really key way of doing it. And pick up the phone if you're on an island, then hopefully you've got some kind of reception. Uh, <laughs> just just into a bar. 
and yeah, talk talk to like talk to real estate agents, right? Like um, they and just keep in mind that there's like you know, they might be wanting to have another property that's not the one you're wanting to buy, but they'll, they'll they might poo poo the one that you're talking about to push you into their property. You know, that that happens every now and then, but you call enough people, you ask their opinion. Most of them are just nice people, and if they're good at their, their career sales agents, like they understand good customer service, and they'll just give you their opinion. You know, and um, they might not sell to you, but you might sell through them in the future. So that is um, your, your best and, best source. And I think it's it's great it's great market intel because the more of those conversations you have, that then then you sort of then a property comes up for sale down the road that is selling, or or you can buy for twenty or thirty thousand less. And you can mm. sort of say, well, okay, fantastic. Like that's that's potentially rather than waiting for the comparables to catch up in two months or whatever it is after they sort of get listed, then the then the problem is it's already moved and you can't buy that now for twenty k unless you got to pay forty k more for that one, and you're just yeah, constantly you know in a heated market. The next thing I'd say too is like this is what you know we do as well is you know those agents. It's it's not a a useless phone call conversation because. You can ask them, do you have any other similar properties coming to market? That's how you're going to find your pre-markets. There might be something off-market as well. Like, if, you, if you're seriously keen on buying and you've got a buying window, then you want to do every. You want to talk to as many people as you can. Yeah, you got to pick up the phone. That is, the phone is the most valuable resource. That's all you need. You need to just have a chat with agents, have a chat with property managers, have a chat with local local people. Um, go and call every agent that has sold something and then every agent that has listed something and you will learn a whole heap about that market. Um, thank you very much for for tonight, um, Sam. How do, how do people learn more? How do people get more Sam in their life? Oh, well, I've just started a property podcast. So it's Ooh. called Pals Australia. It's a green logo. Yeah, it's It'd be very difficult to find because it's so new, but uh, I feel like there's a lot of questions out there that I'm trying to um, answer and, this is a good way to try and get out there and I'm just trying to learn from you guys as well. So that's one way, but yeah, the main way is to jump into Hello House, hellohouse.co and um, that's our website. I'll reach out via the socials, um, but that's where Scott Agate and myself are easily found. Get yeah. it done. It's Property Pals. Do you, do you have the domain for that? Like is that your... Yeah, I'm, I'm putting it in the comments now. Propertypowers.au and then hallowhouse.co and get buyer ready. It's a great course. And uh, when you guys did the ad, and it, it, it really does. <laughs> we've put a lot of time and effort into this course to try and help people because, you know, obviously there's some people that they, they can't afford that advice and that's completely fine or they're happy to take on that challenge, but at least get educated. Um, you'll learn a lot. And, it, you know, it's only three hours of your time. It's all micro lessons, easy to understand. So, um, go on and, and do it it's you know, it'll it'll pay a lot of dividends long term there you go who's this who's this bloke with you oh that's crousey that's my that's my best mate <laughs> so you guys are together doing this you've done you've set it up together yeah he's a um, oh, this he's is a, great he's a business online business coach mentor and he runs a buying online business podcast and um, he's oh wow He's just started his property journey and I've been helping him um, get educated on that front and we spent a lot of time just talking about property and it was kind of like, you know, let's put a camera in front of it and just hit the record button and see what happens. 
see what happens. Join the podcast, check it out. I always find like the first, the first like beginner podcasts are before things get polished. And I feel like there's a lot of gems there. So yeah, everyone jump onto that and make it happen because there'll be is some. That, is, that, is, that a, is that us, Joe? Are we, are we, poli- no. are we considered polished? <laughs> no. Not yet. Uh, you, got, you guys are authentic. I love it. You know, there's too much BS. Everyone reading scripts out there. It's 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 good to see. I love what you've done, and well done for what you've uh, you've achieved. Thanks very mm. much, Sam, for coming on. I appreciate it as well. Like, thanks for just being being a fun kind of fun fun pal out there. <laughs> Great pals. Uh, see you uh, guys. Let's go buy a property. Thanks for property. Yeah. See you, Dave. See ya. Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group with over 25,000 property investors so we can all become better property investors together. Just a quick reminder that anything we covered on this podcast is not considered as financial advice. This is general information only. You need to go and speak with your qualified professionals to understand your unique circumstances as this is general advice only. If you got any value out of this podcast, feel free to recommend us to your friends and leave us a review. Thank you very much for listening and have a fantastic day. Let's go buy property.